Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. What's up, everybody? This is the Coast to Coast Podcast here on InsideCarolina.com. We are brought to you by Johnny T-Shirt, the number one place for you to get all of your UNC swag, gear, apparel, trinkets, doodads, who's what's it's whatever you want to call it. If it's got a UNC logo on it or if it represents the University of North Carolina, Johnny T-Shirt will have it for you. Spring sports are getting up and started. And if you want to head out to the Bosch to see some baseball this year, don't go rocking some old gear. Hit up johnnytshirt.com or better yet, stop by, see them right there on Franklin Street. They'll take care of you. And we'll be right back with this week's edition of the Coast to Coast Podcast. Welcome in. Thanks for being here. We know this is the biggest, biggest night of the year. And we know that you are all here after talking to your bookies, after planning your parties. This is what you are here for. You've all gathered around the tube to hear this year's commercials and see this episode of the Coast to Coast podcast. And we appreciate you being here. As always, I'm your host, Joey Powell. If you have not subscribed, please rate, review us. We always love all that feedback. Helps us make for a better show for you. The two guys that you're here to see and hear from have joined me once again. Sean Moran, Sherelle McMillan. Sean, I'm guessing you're Rams. Sherelle, I'm going to designate you as a, a Bengals fan because if I remember correctly, uh, when you played blue in Remember the Titans, you had some tiger stripe draws, right? Or were they leopard print? I can't remember. <laughs> no comment. Nothing? I got nothing? All right. Well, <laughs> I got <laughs> you caught me I, off guard. You I shut, me him, off guard. shut him down first early tonight, guys. That's a that's some lockdown defense for you. Well, boys, I appreciate you being here. Uh, before we get rolling, I want to give a shout out to my man Massey over at the uh, the Graduate Hotel Bar. Uh, my wife and I stopped in there to uh, enjoy an evening away, and Massey just really took care of us. We watched the Florida State game there, but um, uh, know he's a listener. Know he's a, a big Inside Carolina follower. So I want to give him a shout out and appreciate him tuning into what we do. So, boys, coming off of yesterday's game where the Tar Heels just put up some absolutely gaudy numbers against the Florida State Seminoles. And I want to throw out there, yes, we're where the Florida State was coming in, licking their wounds, losing five straight. I mean, just had an absolute hodgepodge of players trying to fill out a lineup. Um, and I know that wasn't ideal. But I think if you can separate the opponent, there's a lot to like about what North Carolina did on offense and defense yesterday. Sean, uh, give, give you some stats, and then I want to come to you first for just your general reaction. But uh, 74% field goal shooting in the first half, uh, that's hard to do against air. Uh, they shot over uh, – I think they shot over 70 from three in the first half. Uh, 22 assists on 37 field goals made. They shot 42% uh, three-pointers for the game. Meanwhile, holding Florida State under 40%. That's even after Florida State kind of – started getting what they want in the second half. Just a lot to like about this Tar Heel team. And, Sean, I want to ask you, 
what did they do that looked so different yesterday against Florida State from what we've seen from this team in every other game except maybe parts of the NC State game? Well, life is always better when, when the ball's going through the basket. And Thank you, Roy. I think yes. It, <laughs> I think it gave everybody confidence early on with Caleb and, and Brady, and it just kind of, uh, you know, carried, carried throughout. I think one of the key things that we've been discussing almost on every podcast is, is ball movement. Uh, and that was something I think it was probably the best that they've had all season. And, you know, really that first half, there, there weren't a whole lot of four of shots. Um, everybody was either driving with a purpose or driving, you know, looking to kick or move the ball quickly um, and make decisions quickly. And I think that just led to, to open shots. Uh, but at the same time, you could see getting out in transition uh, more so than in, in games past and, and also, uh, players maybe making, you know, some, some passes they, they could not have met or could not have made um, maybe earlier in the season. So it was good to see kind of everything clicking, um, you know, on both offense and defense in that first half. Hey, I want to stick here with you for a second because I felt like I saw more uh, cutting from the corners on the baseline yesterday. I don't know if that was something that, that was new, a new wrinkle in the offense, or just that the Tar Heels were exploiting it and using it more. What do you think about that? I mean, it, I think it, it stands out with, uh, you know, when Styles got into the game and, and some of the stuff that he was able to do. But, um, you know, and, and even going back to the Clemson game of, of Manic uh, cutting for the game, game-winning basket. So I think, you know, that, that is something that can hopefully continue with, with a floor that is, is definitely more spread out uh, than in the past. And, you know, having, you know, the defense is focused on shooters as well as Armando down low. So, I mean, there are those opportunities. I think that's what we've, we've talked about with Leakey of, you know, even if he's not a focal point of the offense and it has been great to see him knock down open jump shots and, you know, finish with authority, but he's also the type of guy, you know, that three position with this year's team, you know, they should be getting three to four cuts or, you know, three to four baskets off of cuts um, or just kind of attacking, uh, you know, on the offensive glass, the game at the very least. So, you know, hopefully that's just kind of another area along with transition that can, that can provide, you know, 10, 10 plus points a game. Sherelle, Sean tagged it just a little bit, but I want to kind of really spend some time with you here. Uh, We talked about on the radio show with Tommy Ashley and Inside Carolina Live, about Hubert's comments about Dontrez Styles and DeMarco Dunn getting more playing time. And it wasn't just lip service because Dontrez played 16 minutes against Florida State, finished with eight points and four rebounds, and just his athleticism really jumped off the screen at us. What do you think was different about what Dontrez has been doing in practice? Or is this one of those things where, where Hubert just recognized, hey, I got to get this kid some playing time. He's earned it. You know, there's a couple years ago, uh, I, I think it was 2017, Roy Williams had the three freshman bigs. It was Brandon Huffman, it was Garrison Brooks, and it was Mm -hmm. Sterling Manley. And it was around this time that season, probably late February, he came out very clearly to the media and said, you know what, I've got to play these guys some more because they're the future of Carolina basketball. You know, uh, Luke is going to be gone. We're losing some parts, and I've got to get these guys some time. If not, it's going to hurt us even more next season. I think maybe Hewitt between – Styles playing better in practice and then between some of that recognition and now getting the official word that Dustin Garcia is not coming back this season. I think when you add all that together, it was an opportunity for Hebert to get more minutes for Styles, And that's probably what it was. Um, I would imagine 
again, I don't know because I'm not in practice, but I would imagine his practice habits have gotten better. Because uh, again, true freshman, people forget that. Yeah. Um, it's very different to come in and learn <clears throat> the nuances of the Carolina system, the, the Hubert Davis system, how to practice, how to handle going to class, how to handle uh, all the responsibilities that he has as a North Carolina basketball player, study hall, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so maybe he's just now really getting into a groove uh, where he can you know, do well in practice. And now that's going to translate into more minutes uh, on the court. I think a lot of fans can instantly notice uh, different energy when he's on the floor. What else does he bring to this team that is a net positive for Hubert Davis's roster? I think the energy is is a big thing. Uh, so uh, we talked to someone very close to the UNC program a couple of years ago, right after Styles committed. Because if you remember, he committed at the onset of the coronavirus pandemic. Mm-hmm. And basically, they said, you know, UNC likes him a lot because he's really tough and they kind of questioned North Carolina's toughness a little bit that previous year. So this would have been uh, the 14 and 19 season, um, the Cole Anthony uh, season. That would have been that year. And so they questioned their toughness a little bit. And I think that's the biggest thing is that he brings some toughness. He brings a lot of intensity because he's a no-nonsense type of kid. And then he brings a lot of athleticism that, frankly, they haven't had uh, on the wing and kind of at the 3-4 in some time. Uh, So I think – that's the reason that uh, it's so just different because you haven't seen anyone quite like him at UNT in probably, you know, three or four years. He's absolutely a breath of fresh air. I like all those adjectives you use, energy, toughness, intensity, athleticism. Uh, And as we've used on this show many times before, kid looks like he's got a little bit of dog in him. And I know the three of us are a fan of that. So I was about um, to bark, but I figured I wouldn't. (laughs) Hey, did, did blue bark and, uh, and remember the Titans? I can't remember. Um, (laughs) Sean, one of the things we were talking about a second ago, uh, you alluded to specifically, was just how much better the ball movement was against Florida State. And if you look at UNC's wins, uh, a lot of them have been better. I think the ball movement in the second half against Clemson was better, uh, probably definitely not to the level that it was against Florida State. How much of this is just guard play and uh, RJ Davis and Caleb Love just feeling like they're not going to be bested? How much of it is, is those guys seeing the floor better? Just what do you think is leading to uh, better ball movement all around instead of now, you know, instead of where it was just Brady Manic earlier in the year, now you've got guards who are facilitating really, really well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you have, you know, RJ with uh, over the, last, the two games, 11 assists, one turnover. Um, and, and you have Caleb, uh, you know, still turning the ball over a little bit, but I feel like even in Florida state that there was two turnovers was, you know, in, in my mind, I was like, well, I'm, I'm fine with that turnover. Cause he was at least looking to make, uh, you know, kind of make the right pass and maybe it was a little late or a little off, but um, you know, staying on, on Caleb. Cause I, you know, I think he's kind of been a lightning rod for, for the UNC fan base. And sure. um, you know, even Clemson, he, he really struggled for the 38 minutes, but hit a big shot and, and had the game winning assist. But he is the one guy that can, uh, you know, constantly, well, not constantly because he has struggled against the top teams, but he can get into, you know, beat, he can beat his defender off the dribble and get into the paint. And I think once again, last week we hit on a lot. He was, you know, shooting 28% from two. Uh, that number didn't go up with his, his performance this week, but if he's able to get into that lane and I think, you know, kind of have pass first on his mind. And it, it did seem like that was the case 
you know, driving baseline a few times and looking out to the corner uh, or looking out to the wing. Same when he was driving in the paint and Manix cutting now. And it seems like they've developed a, a good, uh, you know, back and forth, you know, good relationship in terms of drive, you know, the drives and cuts. And if he can, if he can continue that just pass first mindset, I mean, I, I think that could determine, you know, if they can compete with, you know, one of these teams that has been blowing them out as of late. Unfortunately, we won't get to really see that. Uh, I mean, maybe, you know, t- twice, twice more this year, but overall, I think, you know, the passing has taken, you know, first it was manic, but now really the whole team is looking to do it. And, you know, just going back to that last Duke game, the first two shots were kind of a, a force leaky pull-up and then RJ one-on-one. So, you know, the more the ball can move and the more that people are looking for each other. And, you know, I, I think that will, once again, keep the offense offense going. Um, even when they do go through stretches like they did against Clemson early on, um, you know they can they can put points up in a hurry uh, with with some of that firepower. Yeah, I agree with all that, Sherelle, We've talked about before on this show how much better Caleb is uh, when he seems engaged early, and usually that's hitting a jump shot early on. But what are you seeing that is the major difference or differences between good Caleb Love and bad Caleb Love? It's a tough question. That's uh, what I'm here for, man. I can't, <laughs> I can't give you softballs on every one. Yeah, I would say good Caleb Love is realizing and is resolute in his mindset that he's going to be um, a point guard, that he's going to make sure that not only does he find offense for himself, but he finds offense, as Sean said, for others. The the drives and the dishes to Manic and, and to Baycott are really an example, I think, of his maturation over the course of the year. Cause I don't know if he would have made that pass earlier this season and definitely probably not last season. Um, so I think just a, a little bit more of an understanding of, of when to, to hunt and when not, that's usually when you get good Caleb. <clears throat> I think sometimes bad Caleb again is partly um, psychological. And I don't want to, again, not playing a doctor or anything, but I think he gets down on himself after he, you know, misses a couple of shots or commits a couple of turnovers or doesn't, you know, get back on a defensive assignment. And I think it can snowball very easily for him. Kind of the same way making a shot can get him energized. I think missing one or, or turning the ball over can snowball in a different direction. Uh, so for me, that that's kind of the main difference. But what I think you have to give him a ton of credit for is the fact that he continues to fight through it. Um, even if some of the shots are no, 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 yes, uh, he fights through it. Um, the plays that he made at Clemson, you know, were, were huge. Uh, the overtime against Louisville were huge. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's really just it. It's that uh, he's fighting through it and he he's recognizing it more than maybe he did last year. I think at times last year it was more like, what's wrong with y'all? I'm, I'm good. <laughs> and I think this year it's more, you know, looking internally and saying, what can I do to make the team better? And how can I work within, you know, the construct of the system to better, ha- to have a better outcome for myself and for the team. So I think that mindset is, is, is a huge difference. You answered the bell really well on that one, man. So well done. Um, okay. Looking forward, and I'm not making any assumptions about how the pit game is going to play out on Wednesday night. But North Carolina should win that basketball game, right? I think the next big major hurdle, uh, I see the eye roll and the, and the major shrugs are shrill, but um, just uh, I'm not assuming anything, but I, I want to look and spend a little more time at the, on the Virginia Tech matchup because I think for what North Carolina hopes to do with this season, you need to beat Pitt. But that Virginia Tech game is one of their two current 
uh, quad one opportunities before the season is over. Um, what does the tar or what do the Tar Heels have to do uh, to be able to match up in Blacksburg in Castle Coliseum against this Virginia Tech team that has has shown some grittiness? They they fought the Tar Heels tooth and nail for most of the game in Chapel Hill. Cheryl, I want to come to you first. Give me one thing that has to happen for the Tar Heels to be able to beat a, a very, very tough and gnarly Virginia Tech team. Don't get down, you know, 21 to 5 on the road. Don't, um, you know, get up 5 nothing and then give up a 21 to 4 run. Um, just manage the game. Stay within striking distance. All those cliches. Um, I, I think that's a key because, as you've seen, for this team, when it goes bad, it goes really, really they, – they break bad really hard. Um, when the opportunity presents itself, which it has a few times this season. So I think that's one. And then two, your defense has to travel um, because this is a, it, I don't want to say explosive, but this is a potentially explosive Virginia Tech team offensively. And they did not have a great game offensively at UNC, but they were in it, uh, you know, really down to the final few minutes. Uh, so I think North Carolina is going to have to play one of their better defensive games of the season to go in there and get a win. So those are two things I'm looking for. And as always, the, um, made field goals to assist ratio defense field goals to made field goals to assist ratio and you know not not having the game be over within the first six or seven minutes i think that all that all tracks uh sean i'm gonna come to you same question and i realized Sheryl took a couple of really obvious ones there but i'm gonna ask you to dig into your bag here what's something that the tar heels have to bring to be able to walk out of the castle with a, a much needed win I mean, I think, uh, you know, staying defensively, kind of two, two things. One is defending the three-point line. Uh, you know, we have seen issues with that at times. I think it has gotten better with, with the rotations and not, uh, you know, just leaving wide open shooters after a drive and, and two passes. But right now, uh, you know, the first game, Virginia, as Cheryl said, they didn't play, they didn't play great. Um, and Virginia Tech only had seven three-pointers in that game. Right now on Ken Palm, they're second in the country in terms of three-point percentage. So uh, kind of, you know, you're going to give up three-point attempts but making sure that, you know, at least a hand, hand is in the face, they're, they're contested. And then the second one, we saw what Virginia Tech, uh, what their focus was um, from the very beginning last game was giving it to just Mutz at the four and letting him attack Brady uh, by backing him down. And he just, you know, Brady played tough defense, but he also just, you know, probably missed some shots that, that he normally would make. Um, and I think we saw that, you know, with Clemson of looking to attack, attack Brady. So I, I think that matchup will be a big one in terms of, you know, making sure that it's not a, you know, kind of a complete offensive mismatch, uh, but there is a lot of contesting going on there. And, you know, I, I don't expect this against Virginia tech, but you have seen with Louisville and Clemson uh, UNC has gotten up, nine or 10 points early in the second half and which is you know a great sign because they weren't I don't think they would have been able to do that earlier in the year on the road but at the same time they've then given up those leads extremely quickly um and I think once they you know if they are able to build a lead uh to try and, and sustain it and keep that keep that focus uh going throughout the rest of the game good insight I appreciate that and I think that uh, I think that you talked about some team concepts there but also some individual player concepts that will be valuable all right guys before we take a quick break i do want to share this stat i shared it with you guys if you have any major comments other than you know no crap then feel free i'll, I'll give you space to share those but pluck this from uh, eric haslam he is at haslam metrics uh, or hasla metrics 
on uh, on Twitter. But this kind of bears out. It's the first time I'd seen it in print. This bears out what we talked about last week with North Carolina beating everybody they should beat and then getting mollywhopped by everyone uh, that is significantly better than they are. But uh, Haslam pointed out, North Carolina is now rated by their site to be the third most erratic team in college hoops. Almost nine of their performances season have received game efficiency marks of either minus 30 or less or plus 30 or greater. Nine games, almost nine games. Guys, again, like that, when they say uh, game efficiency, they mean the team has either been plus 30 or better or minus 30 or less. And that is just the epitome in writing of the Jekyll and Hyde-ness of this particular roster. Any strong feelings that that that, that stat conjures up for you? I wouldn't other, say other, other than just, just a man <laughs> face from you, that was amazing. I wish everybody I would, could see that. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say strong or anything, uh, but it, it it's good to see confirmed what we think with our what we think and what we see with our eyes. It's good to see that confirmed with numbers. Um, yeah, variance, man. That for me, that's that's the word of this season. <laughs> this is variance. It's, that's a pretty incredible stat. I don't have anything else. It's incredible. When they're, when they're good, they're good. But when they're bad, they are deplorable. Sean, anything that that conjures up for you or is it pretty much just cementing what we already suspected yeah i mean i think you know even just looking at the points for possession on a game-by-game basis it, it it's like you know the both offense and defense are for the most part outside of you know the home bc game you know seem to be correlated of one's you know one's running hot the other is well if the offense is running hot the defense is at least running medium <laughs> um and uh but when when the offense is running bad, like it was against Miami or, or Wake, you know, the, the defense is, is right there with them. So you're getting, I mean, similar to Florida State where, you know, especially that those first half numbers of just, uh, you know, I think godly, uh, you know, 1.55 points per possession or something like that and 0.75 for Florida State. So it's, it's really just trying to, once again, make sure that the offense can be consistent, not get into those holes that Terrell mentioned, and that the defense, uh, you know, we know we're not going to get a top 20 effort, but if they can, you know, at least force force tough shots and stay, you know, stay locked in, I think will be the key to hopefully minimizing some of that negative variance. Terrell, you wanted to break format and ask Sean a question a little bit? Yeah, I was curious, Sean, the Virginia Tech game, is this a switch all screens game? Um. I don't, I don't think so because I think uh, Mutz and Aluma can probably take advantage, you know, take maybe take more advantage of the guards down low. Um, but I think it could easily turn into that if they're able to get open looks. But I think, um, you know, UNC, I, I feel they have been doing a better job communicating as of late. Um, and I think, you know, they should be able to hopefully fight through and, and be focused early on. But as we've seen before, it could easily become, become that. And at the same time, you know, if it does, perhaps that gets Virginia Tech out of any offensive rhythm where they try to attack the mismatches uh, versus trying to run a fluid fluid offense. So I think it'll be, uh, you know, an interesting uh, schematic, schematic scheme um, of what's going on defensively. Well played, fellas, both of you, both the question and the answer. All right, take a quick break. We're going to let the national guys come drop some ads in here. We're going to come right back, talk a little bit of recruiting because there was movement this past weekend, not just with the Tar Heels uh, absolutely Peter rolling the Florida State Seminoles, but there was movement on the recruiting front. We'll talk about that in just one second when we get back here on the Coast to Coast podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. 
And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Get the champagne ready. The NBA Finals are here. Welcome to the NBA Finals. Let's raise our glasses and our rings to the two phenomenal teams left standing. My goodness! Here's the high stakes action to thrilling moments we can't miss. To crowning our next champion. Here's a toast to the NBA Finals. The 2024 NBA Finals presented by YouTube TV continue on ABC. All right, thanks for sticking around. We appreciate you listening. Once again, want to remind you, rate and review us. It helps us with advertisers, helps us in various podcast medium algorithms. So do that. We'd appreciate it if you like what you're hearing. Um, give us that five-star review, give us that rating, uh, give us the comments, give us the feedback. If you don't like what you're hearing, Hey, let us know. We want to do better. Um, Sherelle UNC, as you called last week, had some visitors this week. Uh, Jalen Washington signee for the Tar Heels, uh, made his official senior year visit with his folks. I'll let you talk about him. And then if you want to back that with Cam Scott's, uh, most recent visit, he's been a multiple time visitor there and he left with a little bit of a present, didn't he? He did. So we can start with Cam, actually, since we're right there is a great segue. Uh, so this was his second trip in a month. He was at the UNC Georgia Tech game uh, the day before uh, the ice storm hit, uh, hit the triangle. And uh, there's another huge North Carolina win where they kind of shot the lights out. And then he was back on Saturday, a North Carolina win where they shot the lights out. And uh, after the game, he picked up a scholarship offer from UNC. So he's the second player in the class of 2024 to have a UNC scholarship. Uh, again, uh, he is a 6'6 uh, guard slash wing from Lexington, South Carolina, just outside of Columbia. Um, so another South Carolina battle on hand for UNC potentially moving forward. Um, <clears throat> the other 2024 offer is Jaron Stevenson, uh, who is a 2024 forward from Pittsburgh. And those two actually are uh, AU teammates for Team United, and they play on Nike's EYBL circuit. So uh, a big time offer um, for Scott, I think. If you are a premium subscriber, you can check out the story that we wrote uh, today with him. Uh, it was a big offer for him, and I think they kind of had an idea it might be coming. So Hubert Davis and Jeff Lebo uh, went down to Lexington on January 30th. And um, you can find it in the story, but they were going to offer that day. And then Hubert Davis kind of had an inkling. And it turned out it was a good inkling because uh, uh, the reason that he decided to wait uh, when we asked Cam Scott about it, he was like, I have a lot of respect for that. So I think that won him a few uh, points with the uh, Scott and Cole's family. Um, so, yeah, uh, another recruitment that UNC has jumped into uh, an early offer, I think, uh, from a UNC perspective. They beat a lot of the Blue Bloods there. Uh, Kansas isn't there yet. Kentucky's not there yet. Duke isn't there yet. Um, so they've got a bit of a head start on them. And, you know, they'll we'll see what happens as, as they watch uh, him over the summer with Stevenson. And again, it's also important for, for fans who follow this kind of stuff to just pay attention to what kind of style Hubert Davis seems to be showing with with regard to how he recruits. I think it's very early to to say this is what type of recruiter he is, but it's neat to kind of see what trends he's been able to put out just in this 
in this less than a year that we're dealing with. Sean, do you want to kind of give everybody the heads up as to uh, what you might be putting out with regard to uh, Cam Scott's game and your analysis? Sure. So, you know, with, with the offer, um, you can check out on the, the recruiting board, just kind of a, a short, uh, short write-up on him. Uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, one of the things that stands out from the, the highlights is just, you know, how, how natural he is as a, as a jump shooter uh, to go with that kind of six, five, six, six height with, with, you know, a good, good length. Um, and, you know, very, very fluid, good mechanics from the outside um, and can, you know, finish with authority and on transition attacking the basket as well. So I think, you know, he's kind of the type of, of shooting guard wing that, I think UNC fans have wanted uh, over the lot, you know, and have been missing the lot, you know, the last few years, really since, uh, you know, the, the 2019 team. Um, I think going forward in terms of just trying to watch a little more full game high school footage and even on the AU EYBL circuit, I've just kind of seen how he is, um, you know, again, you know, in, in terms of trying to create his own shot, um, but also, you know, pick and roll with his ball handling. So I think those are, two areas, but we'll hopefully, you know, similar to the Trimble and, and Nichols breakdowns uh, in Wiltshire as well, we'll hopefully be able to watch uh, Stevenson and Scott a little bit more as they get into their their playoff run. And, and one last thing on Scott before we move on. Uh, I'll give this away from the story because I thought it was uh, pretty interesting. <laughs> so he um, he's he's a very mature 16. Uh, he's not a, like a reclass kid who's older, you know, for his age or anything like that. What I thought was interesting is that uh, he brought up a couple of plays. North Carolina shooting lights out, right? They're nine threes in the first half. Caleb Love has five. You know, they scored 62 points. They're up by 38 at halftime, et cetera, et cetera. The two things he pointed out was Leaky Black uh, forcing two shot clock violations in the first half. And I just thought that was interesting that in spite of the offensive, you know, uh, onslaught yeah. that was going on, he was focused on that. And um, for North Carolina, uh, with the way they've played defense at times this year, um, people who have an interest in defense on the recruiting trail, I think, will catch their attention. And, and Scott definitely has his mind on, on defense as well. That's a cool nugget, man. And I can go ahead and tell you there are folks listening to this show right now that are immediately hearkening to one former coach that would consider coming out of retirement if he could get you know, more kids like that, that that's what they're analyzing at 16 years old. Uh, that will be fun to to see if if he does matriculate indeed to to Chapel Hill, and we mentioned uh, briefly uh, that Jalen Washington had his senior year trip. Do you have any nuggets on how that went, or will you have some follow up for his, for his team? And if if you don't have any follow up from his team, um, how do you feel like his rehab is going, or do you have any updates on that for us? Yeah, we hope to talk to him. Actually, we're supposed to talk to him after we record this. So by the time you listen to this, uh, if not Monday, then hopefully Tuesday, we'll have something up. Uh, but you know, he's from what I understand, the last time I talked to him, the rehab is going well. Um, he is I'm going to count on live radio. So I apologize. October, November, December, January, February. So he's about five months into his recovery now uh, it, for a recovery that he said was six to nine months. So I would expect you and see when he arrives in June to be super, extremely, uh, amazingly cautious. So I don't expect him to be coming in and playing pickup over the summer or doing any kind of real live work. Uh, I think mm -hmm. that'll happen um, as long as everything goes well when practice starts in the fall, um, just to give him basically a full year to have rehabbed and healed and try to get everything strong and, and where it needs to be for him to get his conditioning back and, and all that good stuff. 
All right, Sean, last thing, uh, and I'll throw this to you. Assuming that he can be healthy before the season starts, if you could give us a minute breakdown of where you see a player, and you can do percentage. I'm not asking you to, to name out minutes because we don't know what the roster is going to look like. But if you could break out uh, kind of a percentage of position of where you see a player like Washington slotting in next year, what would that look like? Well, I mean, I, this goes back to kind of what we talked about during the summer when when he when he committed of – you know, I think a lot of the, in the articles, it was a, a five, four and have been pretty adamant that he's a five. Um, you know, I think that's being shown more uh, just in terms of UNC de- defensively at the four position this year. Um, I think, you know, uh, I'll go away from percentage, but, you know, minutes basis of if he was able to, you know, even get, you know, 10 to 12 next year, I think that would be considered a win um, just given, given his long, long layoff. Uh, but once again, I think with a, you know, with a big man and knees, uh, that's always kind of a, <laughs> a scary, <laughs> scary, you know, thought. So hopefully he can get healthy because, uh, you know, he, he really does have, you know, with his length, um, you know, can protect the rim and, and is a good, a good shot blocker. And then at the same time, uh, you know, still kind of needs to get, get stronger to, to work on that, you know, that, those post moves and scoring in the, in the post, but he has that kind of stretch five ability, which, which UNC doesn't, you know, for the most part doesn't have where he's very comfortable from 15 and can even pick and pop a little bit. So, you know, it'd be great if he was healthy. Cause I think he, you know, he's exactly the type of player they are looking for, but, you know, hopefully he can come in off the bench next year and, and just kind of show steady improvement where, you know, as a sophomore, Perhaps it's coming into the starting lineup and and kind of following almost that Armando model of uh, maturation and and skill development. Yeah, I'm sure UNC strength coach Jonas Aration is you know salivating the opportunity to to build uh, Jalen Washington's lower body. All right, guys, anything else before we get out of here? Because I have got to go watch this halftime show and teach my kids how to crip walk. Uh, anything <laughs> else you want to add in here, Sean? You got anything to add? Nope, I'm good. I'm good. Hopefully, uh, I mean, we always talk about the week ahead uh so once again two games and we'll be talking about one-on-one or, or two and oh next sunday and you know i think at virginia tech uh you know could be a could be a, a big win for yeah for unc heading into that final stretch all right sherelle anything from you do they understand the concepts of hateration and holleration from oh Lodge? they will they absolutely okay. will um uh, but <laughs> um <laughs> so don't Carolina, since games left right um they they have a real shot, I think, to win at least five of those. You start to – not taking anything for granted, but, you know, my favorite stat of the season is conference-only <laughs> defensive efficiency. And North Carolina has six games left. The bottom five in that stat in conference-only games, Syracuse, who North Carolina plays, Pittsburgh, who North Carolina plays, Louisville, Virginia Tech, NC State. So five of North Carolina's six games are against the five worst – conference only defenses in defensive efficiency this season. So if the offense, you know, can be competent and the defense can be competent, uh, you know, I think there's a chance uh, they really could go five and one down the stretch. And, and then who knows what might happen, you know, in Durham in the season finale. But I just thought that was interesting uh, that that's who they have next, those five teams at the very bottom. Well, and they're going to have that opportunity. I think it's a like you said, it's it, they're going to have the chance against teams that are not performing very well in the conference and defense. But, fellas, I appreciate it as always. Um, thanks for what you bring to the show. Thanks to everybody for listening. Thanks to Johnny T-Shirt for sponsoring and John Siegley for producing. 
But until next time, let's get ready for the next episode. This has been the Coast to Coast Podcast. I'm Joey Powell for Sean Moran and Sherelle McMillan. Late. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.